Well, good evening, everyone. What a blessing we have to gather once again as God's people in His house with one another, uh, as those united to one another in virtue of our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy we have to exalt His name once again uh, at the end of this Lord's Day. Uh, Christ Himself calls us to worship Him tonight uh, with these words from Psalm 113. He calls us to praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And that is the great God we come to worship this evening. Would you stand now to receive His kind welcome and greeting tonight? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen. Let's turn in that uh, hymnal we just sang from, the Trinity Psalter hymnal, to number 421, a hymn that we sing often and with great gusto. Number 421, Christ shall have dominion as we sing about the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing stanzas 1 through 4 of 421.
it, that our faith as Christians is an historic faith. And we're going to use the words of the Apostles' Creed tonight to, to reflect that and to, to give our confession of the triune God, a confession that has been made by Christians for centuries, uh, which is a faithful reflection of the teaching of Scripture about our great God. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Later during our sermon, we're going to be considering uh, the topic of submitting to uh, human rulers and authorities. And I chose Psalm 21 this evening because it rejoices in those godly rulers who follow the Lord's instructions, who rejoice in the Lord's strength, and as a result are also um, able to expect His blessing and His goodness in their, in their reign and in their rule. And of course, um, it is in our Lord Jesus Christ, most of all, that we see the righteous reign of God on earth. Psalm 21, you're, you're welcome to follow along with me as I read this tonight. The psalmist writes, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. 
You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. We're going to sing of the great strength, the power, majesty of our God now, turning in that same book to number 21b, 21b, O Lord, in your great strength. We're going to sing as we remain in our seats, stanzas 1 and 3, 4 and 6, 1 and 3, 4 and 6 of 21b. Would you join me now as we go to that great King of ours in prayer, trusting that he will hear our prayer for the sake of his dear Son, our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, it is such a joy for us to gather together as your people once again this evening at the end of this Lord's Day 
to make a joyful noise to you, to serve you with gladness, to come into your presence uh, with joyful song. Oh, Lord, our song is a reflection of our hearts this evening. We are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and all that you have done for us. Oh, Lord, in this season of thanksgiving, uh, we exalt you as the King, as the provider, as the kind and loving God who knows what we need and provides all that we need in your perfect measure and at just the right time. And so we come with hearts filled with joy and gratitude for these things, O Lord. We know, O God, that you are God. You are the only true God. All other gods are idols. Uh, They are worthless. They are empty. They cannot fulfill the empty promises that they make. You are the only God, the one who has made all things and sustains all things, and we are yours for now and forever. Thank you that you have made us your people. You have called us and and brought us into your, your sheepfold. You have made us the sheep of your pasture. You care for us so deeply that you will not lose one of us. So precious are we to you. We thank you that you have made us your sons and daughters, the sheep of your pasture, by sending your dear Son in the fullness of time to take on human flesh, to to face the persecution and the suffering and the burdens of this sinful world, to bear upon the cross perfectly uh, the judgment, the just wrath for sin and then to give us a righteousness that makes us now and forever pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, what a joy we have tonight to recount what Jesus has done and who he is, and that what he has done for us will never fade. Oh, Lord, in this life many things do fade, but our salvation lasts forever and ever. We look forward to the life that we will live with you forever and ever. And so it is our joy once again tonight to enter these gates, um, the gates of Zion as it were, uh, the, the heavenly festival gathering with thanksgiving, to enter your courts with praise, to give thanks to you, to bless your name. You are good, O God. Your steadfast love endures forever, and you are kind to all generations. Lord, this evening we rejoice because our congregation is evidence that your steadfast love and faithfulness extends uh, to generation after generation of those who fear you. Oh, Lord, we uh, have seen in our congregation in the last number of months the gift of new life, and we pray for those parents as they raise their children in the fear of the Lord that through their instruction, through the instruction of your word here at at church, that you would work mightily in these children's lives so that we would see your steadfast love extending from generation to generation as our children, our children's children, embrace the promises of the covenant. Lord, we pray for those who are yet waiting for their children uh, to respond to those promises in faith. We pray that as they wait, uh, they would wait in faith, patiently entrusting themselves and their children to you. They would not become discouraged when that change of their hearts does not happen automatically or immediately, 
But Lord, may they wait in faith and wait as they continue worshiping and serving you, trusting that you are a good God and you are mighty to save. Father, we're thankful for the the growth that we have seen in our congregation. We pray that that growth would continue. Most of all, we pray for a greater hunger and thirst for your gospel in our midst, that we would see more of our our younger families especially coming and bringing their families to, to sit under the preaching of the word, that primary means by which you create faith and strengthen our faith. Lord, may we be a vibrant community, a community of those who love you and love your word, love one another, who are eager to search out one another's needs before our own, who are compassionate and kind towards outsiders and new visitors. Lord, may this be a warm and a welcoming and a friendly environment where the gospel is faithfully preached, where the community is rich and fulfilling and satisfying. And Lord, may you be praised through our life here. We pray that you would also meet the needs of our congregation, O Lord. We look at our bulletin, and it is filled with names of our friends and loved ones, and we pray that you would meet all of their needs in Christ Jesus. Those who are ill and unable to be with us, we pray that you would bring healing, uh, that in the meantime, as they wait, that you'd give them a great peace in their souls. Father, we pray that you would also meet our needs as we look forward to the coming congregational meeting. We thank you for uh, the men who are uh, on the ballot. We pray that you would equip them now for those who have called, that they would serve faithfully and diligently and selflessly. And Lord, that you would continue to bless our congregation with wise and courageous and gifted and faithful leadership. Father, we are also called to pray not just for ourselves and our own uh, community here at First Chino, but also to pray for our world and our, our local community. Father, we pray first of all for our brothers and sisters around the world. Many of them are facing persecution because of the faith that they confess. Many of them worship in hiding underground because it is uh, not a national policy to tolerate Christianity. So, Father, we plead with you to give courage and and protection to fellow brothers and sisters in the world who face persecution in hostile areas. We think of those in Afghanistan and Syria and other parts of the Middle East, even areas of Asia as well. We pray that you would sustain them and bless them and protect them. Father, we also pray that you would be with those organizations that are fighting for the sanctity of human life in the womb. We pray for repentance among our nation's leaders those who support the the horrendous, murderous practice of abortion. We pray, Lord, that you would reverse this terrible decision that was made decades ago and that you would begin to bring about the preservation of the sanctity of life in this nation once again. Father, we also pray for those who are regularly caring for those with physical and mental disorders and disabilities. We pray that you would uphold them and strengthen them, Lord, so easy for them to become discouraged with the daily grind of caring for those with disabilities. We pray that you would sustain them, fill their hearts with joy. Thank you that we as a congregation can rally around such people to encourage them with our words and our prayers and our cards of encouragement, even by offering to care for those with special needs. Father, as we look forward to hearing your word proclaimed tonight, we pray that you would make our hearts and our minds malleable that they would be shaped and changed and conformed to your perfect will.
Lord, we pray also that we would give of our gifts and offerings with joyful and generous hearts tonight. And we thank you for the cause of Reformed Youth Services. They have reached so many of our covenant youth uh, with practical biblical instruction, uh, literally changing many of the lives of our young people. And so we pray that you continue to bless this organization, those who serve on its board, uh, those who direct it, uh, those who are involved in the inner workings. We pray that this would continue to be a blessing to our churches. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers for the sake of Jesus Christ, our dear Lord and our friend, our brother. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Tonight we give of our offerings uh, with gratitude in our hearts for Reformed Youth Services. If the deacons would please come up to take your offerings. As we anticipate the, the reading and the preaching of God's Word tonight, we're going to turn to number 119b, 119b in the Psalter hymnal, a uh, portion of Psalm 119, of course, uh, that asks the question, uh, how shall the young have their way directed so that they walk in the right path of blessedness? And of course, it is the wisdom of God's Word. If we cherish that Word in our hearts and follow that Word, God will enable us to keep from sin and follow His directions. And so, we're going to ask the Lord to do that now. Let's sing as we stand both stanzas of 119b.
Well, about a month ago, we had the opportunity to look at a, a small section of the book of Hebrews as the writer of Hebrews calls uh, all believers to, to willingly, joyfully submit uh, to those whom God has appointed to be the overseers of their souls, uh, in other words, the, the pastors and the elders uh, in the church. And I thought in keeping with that theme of submission, we'd look at another aspect of God's call for us as believers to submit to those in authority over us. Specifically tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, the last part of 1 Peter chapter 2, as he talks about the call to submit to all human institutions, whether those are, uh, are those in, in government ruling over us or those who are our employers. And then, of course, uh, Christ Himself as, as our, uh, the one we should give chief submission to. And so, please turn there in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 13. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Um, as, a, as just a brief reminder as you turn there, uh, Peter has been speaking to believers living in Asia Minor during a period of sporadic persecution for the church. Um, he calls the believers elect exiles, which might seem like a contradiction. Uh, they are elect. They are the special possession of Christ but they are also exiles. They are are foreigners. They're strangers on earth. But Peter says that these believers and all believers have a living, lasting hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and that that hope should guide, it should anchor the way they live their lives in the midst of a watching pagan world. And so, leading up to the section I'm about to read, Uh, Peter has exhorted the believers to abstain from the passions and the sins of the flesh. They should keep their conduct, keep their lives holy and honorable before the Gentiles so that they might glorify God. And in what I'm about to read here, he focuses in, he hones in on two ways that believers can obey and demonstrate their holiness before a watching world, and that's by submitting to, showing honor and respect to those in authority over them. And so, listen and follow along as I read verses 13 uh, through 25. This is God's holy word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor." Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we're going to end the reading of God's holy word here. Well, brothers and sisters, when we come to a passage like this, uh, which talks about our submission to governing authorities. Now, this is a difficult passage to swallow, particularly, perhaps, because of the conflicting spirit of our times. I think one could argue that uh, the spirit of our times right now in our nation, especially over the last few years, has been particularly hard for believers to navigate. On one hand, we see in our society a great level of disrespect, dishonor for those in positions of authority. There is, I guess you could say, an anarchist spirit in certain sectors of our society today. We, we turn on the news and we see some of our local cities uh, ablaze, cars being turned over. Uh, homes and businesses being destroyed, calls for the defunding of police, one of our central institutions of authority in our land. We see people jumping over barricades to deface property. It seems that there is very little respect for our governing authorities today. On the other hand, many of us who would look at that kind of behavior and say, this is wrong, this is a violation of God's will for our governing authorities and our relationship to them, at the same time wonder, do our governing authorities really deserve our respect? Can we really trust them? Aren't they really, in certain senses, impinging upon our rights and our liberties? It's a very confusing time. Uh, the spirit of our times is certainly difficult to navigate. And, and, and sometimes when we read instructions like this from God's Word, we are quick to launch into debates, to, to raise questions about the extent to which we are really called by God to obey our governing authorities. We wonder, uh, must we still obey unjust rulers? or unjust laws? To whom do we need to be loyal to in government? Just those politicians we like and have respect for, or all of them? Now, some of us might ask, isn't this just all irrelevant anyway? We serve a heavenly king and a heavenly eternal kingdom. Debating about the affairs of this earth, isn't that just a waste of breath? Maybe you've had some of these conversations more recently at the Thanksgiving dinner table. We need to focus. We need to focus in because God's Word doesn't come to us to prompt philosophical or theoretical or political debates. God's Word always comes to us to to transform our hearts, to transform our minds and our lives, to make us more submissive to the will of Christ for us as we live as elect exiles on the face of this earth. 
And so what does God's Word instruct us to do? Before we talk about exemptions and exceptions, what's the basic principle that we ought to follow, that we need to understand, that we need to submit to before we ask any other questions? And the base principle uh, is laid out very clearly here in verses 13 and 14. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter says we ought to submit to those whom God has appointed to rule us. We ought to yield authority to. We ought to give our obedience and our respect to the people and the institutions that God has placed in authority over us. And I think before we respond by complaining, we ought to remember that Peter is, is speaking to Christians who are languishing under Roman imperial rule and persecution. You know, we complain sometimes about the overreach of the U.S. government, and sometimes that complaint is, is justified, perhaps. But Roman rule was far more dictatorial. It was far more corrupt. Roman power and oppression outweighed anything that we have ever experienced and possibly could even imagine. And yet our Lord called the Christians of Asia Minor to submit to their human institutions, and we should do the same as God's Word calls us to. That's the base principle. Before we talk about any exceptions to that, we need to understand, we need to accept, we need to embrace that base principle. But why should we do that? Why are we called by God to submit to our governments? And the, the answer might surprise us. We might expect that it should be out of love of country, out of patriotism, or perhaps out of the pursuit of personal benefits. But no, the Lord says, submit to every human institution for my sake, for the Lord's sake, He said. And although it's true that our leaders are fallible, although it's true that sometimes they test our patience, and they may even begin to encroach upon our civil liberties, nevertheless, God says, we must respect them because they rule at God's appointment. And so we are called to willingly, voluntarily submit to them for the sake of God's commandment. And Peter isn't the only one who writes about this on the pages of Scripture. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Here the Apostle Paul also talks about submission to our authorities. Romans 13, beginning there at verse 1, Paul says, "'Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority.'" except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul also says we ought to submit to those in authority over us because they have been instituted by God. And when we complain that perhaps our governments don't operate as faithfully as they should, we're reminded from Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism that we should be patient with them. Question 104, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. You see, the bottom line, brothers and sisters, the basic principle that we must first understand and accept is this, that human governors have been ordained by God to promote virtue, to promote righteousness and restrain vice. That's what Peter says here in verse 14. Governors are sent by Him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That is the task to which they have been called, and God has given them the authority for that task. And they are accountable to God for how well they do, and one day they will have to give an answer for how well they have ruled. We will also have to give an answer for how well we submitted to them. Have we honored God by working alongside of our governing officials to to do the very thing they've been called to? Have we helped them promote righteousness and restrain wickedness and immorality in the world? Peter says that how well we submit to those in authority over us has a lot to do with our witness to the world. We witness to the world. We, we stop up the mouths of the ignorant and the foolish, those who are eager to accuse us of misconduct in society as Christians. We witness to the world when we honor those in authority over us when we submit to their rule respectfully whenever it does not force us directly to disobey God's law. When we do that, we adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with good works to His glory. Verse 15, this is the will of God, Peter says, that by doing good in our submission to human authorities, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, and we honor God. That's the first reason that we should submit to our governments, but Peter lists one more. He says, perhaps ironically, that we also submit, we subject ourselves to our authorities because we are free. Look what he says in verse 16. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I think one of the temptations that we face as servants of Jesus, as those who serve a king and a kingdom, is that we tend to believe that we no longer need to submit to earthly leaders and powers and authorities. We serve Christ. We're under the authority of Christ and His elders. We really don't need any other authorities. And that sometimes leads us to speak in an ill-mannered way about our leaders. It sometimes leads us to think that we can uh, justly grumble and speak ill of their ordinances. But Peter's call to, to free living is not a license to be freewheeling and careless in our relationships uh, to governing authorities. We are never free as Christians to sin or to pursue self-gratitude or to promote disorder and anarchy in our society. The freedom of the forgiveness of new life with God through Jesus Christ produces holiness in our lives, and that holiness makes us servants of God in every area of our lives, including our submission to our governors. And so our fear, our respect, our submission to God should be reflected in our submission and respect and honor of our human leaders. Notice how Peter ends this section. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He doesn't say, fear the emperor, honor God. No, God alone is sovereign over all. He is the one who rules and judges all human governments, no matter how righteous, no matter how corrupt, and the integrity of our witness in society begins with the fear and the reverence of God. It begins with a trust, a humble, simple trust that His grace is sufficient. It's enough to enable us to walk with integrity before everyone in society with respect and submission that brings Him glory. And so, yes, we have the right as Americans to appeal to our constitutional rights, but even they, if they were taken away, God still calls us to honor and submit to those that He has placed in authority over us. We do not have the right to be anarchists in society. Calvin said, even suffering under an unjust ruler or unjust rules is still preferable to, an, to anarchy, to living in a lawless society. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, for God has appointed these people, flaw-filled as they are, to rule us. And so we honor Christ by submitting to them for His sake. Well, secondly, and a bit more briefly, Peter's focus on submitting to authorities narrows in to those who rule us on a more everyday basis where we are in life. He talks about the topic of submitting to our employers. Look at me at verses 18 to 20. Here he addresses servants. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, 
one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Here, Peter is specifically addressing the attitude of house slaves towards their masters, and it's helpful to know a little bit of what kind of life a house slave or servant would have experienced in the first century world. A first century household masters could be very good, they could be kind, they could be gentle and encouraging. In fact, some slaves in the first century could gain upward mobility in society. Some of them could earn their freedom. But many masters were also unjust and cruel. We, uh, uh, among us tonight, are not uh, slaves or, or servants of any kind, but of course, uh, we also work under the authority of, of an employer, of a master in that regard. And most of us have a great deal of privacy in our work. We have a great deal of freedom to take uh, vacation and travel, but there are also constraints on what we are able to do. We live, we work under the authority of our employer. Sometimes our employers are very kind, and they're generous. Um, they are um, helpful, and we appreciate their kindness towards us. Other times, they can be very difficult. They can be unkind. They can lack sympathy and generosity. Sometimes they can be downright unethical and immoral. But again, Peter sets forth this basic principle. Christians ought to submit to and respect every human institution or ruler, whether good or bad. And of course, that doesn't mean that we can't make our concerns known to our employer. That doesn't mean we can't offer positive suggestions for change. That doesn't mean that we can't try to rescue people from uh, from harmful and unethical working conditions. But it does mean that when we submit our opinion to our employers, we have to leave the decision-making respectfully to those who are in authority over us. And that respect for their authority doesn't just take place when we're face-to-face -face with them. That means that we respect them and we honor them while we're on lunch break with our coworkers, when we're at home and we're venting to our wives or our husbands, when we're on social media, we are called to respect and honor and submit to them because we are called to a noble life in Christ. We're called to live lives of integrity as believers, and a good test of whether we truly respect and honor and submit to our authority, even in the workplace, is whether or not that respect disappears in the absence of those whom God has placed over us. Good bosses are easy to respect. What about the unjust, uh, boorish, difficult bosses? Again, we're challenged to obey and glorify God even by respecting employers whose characters are difficult to respect. Notice what he says here in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is a very countercultural command, but it's one that reminds us that our obedience as believers 
should be characterized by our new life in Jesus Christ. We have a new law, a new ethic to follow. And what pleases God, Peter says, is when we suffer unjustly, are mistreated, do not get what we deserve in the workplace, but still endure by His grace under this burden and continue to submit to our employer's authority. He says in verse 20, there's there's no glory, there's no blessing for suffering when you are actually in the wrong. But there's great blessing for us when we cultivate patient endurance even under unjust suffering. Twice here, Peter calls submission a gracious thing, literally a divine gift. It's a beautiful testimony of God's power and His grace and His sufficiency in our life when we, being mindful of God, can endure an unjust master, an unjust employer. Today, if we are uh, unproductive or unhappy with our current working condition, we have the freedom to look for employment elsewhere, and we might need to do that from time to time. But that, of course, wasn't possible in Peter's day. And yet, whether or not we can change our working situation, our permanent, unchanging calling from God is still the same. To do good to all, to to persist in doing good, to endure in our submission for the glory of God, even if that should mean suffering unjustly. Well, finally, having heard this difficult call from God's Word, why should we do all this? And how can we do all this? Look at me at verse 21. Peter writes, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Peter turns our attention away from ourselves and away from our own circumstances. He focuses our attention upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the, the, the truly righteous one, the just one, the spotless Lamb of God in whom there was no corruption whatsoever, and yet this holy one not only suffered the agony of the judgment of hell for you and me on the cross, but He also suffered His whole life under unjust rulers to give us a perfect example of the way that we should live, living God's way. And this is the pattern He set for us. Verses 22 and 23, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That is the perfect pattern of Christ set for us, and we are called to follow in His footsteps. We are called to genuine and full respect and submission to those in authority over us, even if we are reviled and mistreated and persecuted in return. I don't know about you, but that convicts me terribly, because not only do I fail to 
to respect and submit to uh, our rulers and authorities. But it's so easy for me to revile and speak evil of them. It's so easy to, to not entrust ourselves humbly to our Heavenly Father who will judge justly. And we so quickly take that judgment upon ourselves in arrogance and in anger. We need to leave that judgment to the Lord and know that He will do what is right. But the comfort in the gospel that comes to us tonight finally is that even as we acknowledge our sinful failure to live up perfectly to God's perfect pattern for life, even as we admit and confess that we have not submitted as faithfully as we should to those that God has placed in authority over us, we're reminded that Christ stands before us as the one who is perfectly sufficient to save us from our sin. Look what Jesus did for us. Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Tonight, friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed God's law His entire life, and He did that for you. And He also willingly took upon Himself the penalty, the punishment that our sins, our lack of submission deserve. And He wiped out the penalty and the punishment and the wrath of God against our lawlessness, our lack of submission to His perfect will. And that obedience of Jesus is accounted to you as you come to Him in faith and repentance. By His wounds, you have been healed. And now, under His constant care, you and I are strengthened for a new life, a Christian life, a life of obedient submission to Him as the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Let this gratitude for this great salvation fuel your obedience to these commandments that we've just looked at. Don't view the the call to obey and respect your earthly masters as an impossible burden that cannot possibly give you any joy, but pursue your workplace life. Pursue your political life in the freedom that comes from loving God and your neighbor according to the strength and the pattern set by Jesus Christ. And as you live this new life in Christ, who will surely meet all of your needs, you and I can stand as a living witness of the gospel of Christ at work in this broken world. And so may God give us all strength to fulfill this wonderful calling to His honor and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank You that in Your sovereignty, according to Your good providence, You have chosen to rule us and all mankind according to earthly institutions and rulers. And Lord, we live in a broken world in which these rulers are frequently unjust in their law-making and law-keeping. 
And their regulations do often seem to us to be burdensome and seem to impinge upon our constitutional liberties. And yet, O Lord, we must look to that basic principle that you have set forth for us, that that these rulers rule uh, by your sovereign hand, with your authority, and for our good. And so, Lord, help us to be patient with their failings. Help us to do what we can to support them in their calling to promote righteousness and to restrain wickedness. But Lord, even if our earthly freedoms might be compromised or even taken away, even if we should suffer at the hands of unjust rulers or employers, Lord, help us to entrust ourselves faithfully to You because ultimately You are the one who meets and cares for and knows our needs. You will rule justly, and those who are unjust will one day face recompense. Lord, they will face judgment for their failure to rule. But Lord, may we on that last day not be shown to be those who fail to submit to those whom you place in authority over us. Help us to do it for your sake, O God, and for your glory, and that we might set a godly witness for our watching world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing once again to the Lord, uh, number 185 in the hymnal, number 185, We Give Thee But Thine Own. Uh, Simply a confession that all that we have we owe to Christ uh, and we give it back to Him with grateful hearts. Let's sing stanzas one through three and then the last stanza, stanza five. One through three and stanza five of 185 and let's stand to sing. As we leave this house of worship, as we go out into the world now to, to serve our neighbors, to glorify Christ, receive this parting blessing from our Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.